Amen. Run around the building about five. No, I'm sorry. Move out of your seat this morning. Go find somebody special. Got all these visitors scattered around. Welcome them to Grace Point Church this morning. Greet your family. God bless you. How many appreciates the worship team? Amen. I was just telling Mike what an awesome job he did. Uh, I know you know we move him off the bass and onto the to the guitar. Uh, our keyboardist was out today. Be back next Sunday. But but uh, how many members? It was last Sunday, I guess, wasn't it, Mike? No, two Sundays ago, uh, when I ministered prophetically to, to Mike. Mike, wave your hand so they'll know who I'm not making up a guy. Amen. And uh, he was just sharing with me, you know, I gave him that word and, and won't go back through that, but the, the word of the Lord to him, and uh, he said that he was working a part-time job uh, in addition to his full-time job, and that he was, had been hoping and praying that that full-time, that part-time would turn into a full-time position and we talked about those keys and those keys was to his classroom and and he got hired in that full-time <laughs> a position last week amen and and um uh, and he just said that with that word from the lord he went in with such confidence and now he has keys to all the buildings and all the schools in worth county because now you're going to be in all the schools right so he's going to be in all the schools in worth county amen so that's the that's those, all those new keys that he's got. Amen. Come on, give God praise. It's wonderful. Amen. <clears throat> all right. 
Luke chapter 19, verse 10, one verse. I'm going to read that and I'll let you be seated. Uh, today we're entitling this Our Way Home. Everybody's on the journey home, and I want to tell you, we're not talking about where your mail comes. We're talking about our home with our Father and in our Father. Uh, Jesus summed up his mission in this short sentence. It says, the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which is lost. I've always said you can't, I can't come up to you and say I lost uh, something if it didn't first, it first belonged to me and was mine. So when the Bible calls us lost, it's because Papa, you know, you're his. You've always been his. Amen? Amen. And so you may be seated this morning. So in that phrase again, Luke 19 and 10, the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which is lost. And uh, right there it is, just summed up. It, this, that's the gospel that we preach. That's the gospel of grace right there, and it's distilled down perfectly by Jesus' own words, and that statement that he made right there encapsulates uh, the reason that Christ came for his, we call it the incarnation, and it, it, it encapsulates his earthly ministry and his mission, and it also encapsulates his final passion. That's the week that we're in now, uh, time-wise, in which he, he pursues humanity even into death. And even Hades, which is death, the grave, uh, could not separate Jesus uh, from the, uh, separate him from us and from that relentless love. And I always keep using that word relentless. That's, what, that's who he is. Some, uh, you know, describe uh, him as the hound of heaven that would not give up, would not stop. And, and so what Jesus does is he describes that, that seeking and that saving mission and he does that uh, with inside of three parables that he gives in Luke chapter 15 and beginning in verse 1. And I'm not going to read those for the sake of time, but it's three different parables, but it's all spoken in the same context and it's spoken to the same uh, people. And, uh, and those three parables are pretty familiar to most of us. It's a parable about uh, a lost sheep and it's a parable about a lost coin. And then it's a, a parable about lost sons, plural, not just one son. And so uh, in Luke uh, 15 and verse 1, I, I do want to read the first three verses, uh, Luke chapter 15 and in verse 1, 2, and 3, it says, Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him to hear him. Now I want you to notice the crowd that Jesus is drawing here. It's not a religious crowd. It's a crowd that really is despised by the religious community. And it says, And the Pharisees and the scribes complained, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Now I want you to notice what it says, because this is the gospel. It says, This man, Jesus, he receives sinners. You know what most people preach that the gospel is? That you receive him. Right? They say you receive Jesus. That's not the gospel. The gospel is not that you can receive the Lord if you pray the magic prayer. The gospel is that the Lord has received you into him already. It says that the man received sinners, not sinners received the man. Do you see that? That he received sinners and he eats with them. I want to tell you, he still receives sinners. And he still eats with them. 
And it says he spoke this parable to them. Now, who's Jesus talking to? He releases this parable to those people that are despising him right now. And who is that? That's the, that's the Pharisees, the scribes, the religious community. So Jesus is giving the parable in a response to, to them saying, this man receives sinners and he eats with them, and they, they complained about it. And so when Jesus heard their complaint against what he's doing, how he, what, what, what his mission is, then he gives these parables in response to that. And so what he does is, is he, he, he speaks that to them, and he, it's a corrective word to the Pharisees and the rabbis and the scribes, and they were they the ones that was indignant because that he received sinners. And, uh, and through the father's uh, speech to the older brother, Jesus is actually highlighting the way that the Pharisees looked at him and the way they looked at the gospel that he came. And, uh, you know, most people today, they, they still have a moralistic grid uh, when it comes to, to salvation. You know what I mean by that? In other words, the, you know, they think that good people go to heaven and bad people go to hell, right? That's the moralistic view. And in fact, if you don't think it is, just attend the average funeral, and you'll hear in context, there's nothing wrong with highlighting the benevolence, the kindness, uh, the, the, the goodness of a person that we are celebrating their life. Nothing wrong with that. In fact, it's totally appropriate to do that. But when you, when you package it in the sense that the reason this person is in heaven is because they did good, then that's when it becomes idolatry. That's when it becomes heresy. Uh, it's not, good people don't go to heaven, bad people don't go to hell. What, that, that's the moralistic view. And when Jesus came, he shattered that view. And the Pharisees, uh, that was their view. They considered themselves holy, righteous, good, because they kept the rules, they kept the law. They actually didn't keep the law, but they said they did. When Jesus came, he highlighted and escalated the law. Jesus said, you have heard it said. Where had they heard it said? It was in the Scriptures. You've heard it said that thou shalt not commit adultery. Uh, they had judged themselves if they've never committed adultery. Jesus said, I say to every one of you that if you've ever looked at a person and lusted for them, you've committed adultery. So he made what happened. He made everybody in that Sermon on the Mount an adulterer because he, he elevated the law to its proper standing. They had, they had watered down the law. They had said that we humans in our effort can do this. We can basically save ourselves. And so Jesus uh, brought a new grid uh, than what they were accustomed to, and he did it, and I don't have time to unpackage because all of these are sermons in themselves, but Jesus brought a new uh, grid, and, and it was basically had three foundations. Number one was how he viewed and how, how Jesus talked about and presented the issue of sin and forgiveness. And, and so even today, we still get this wrong. The, the average person believes that, that sin is something that the Lord Jesus can forgive if you do certain things. If you say whatever that particular religion or denomination has you know, discovered that is the magic button that you do say or pray. Are you with me? I mean, no, there's no sinner's prayer in the Bible. <clears throat> Yet churches will say, say the sinner's prayer. And then after they say the sinner's prayer, they say, you're saved because you said this prayer or you recited this prayer. Uh, they do, a lot of them will say, well, you got to be sincere in your heart when you say it. Well, how do you know if you're really sincere or not? 
See, that makes you the Savior, but you're not the Savior. I'm not the Savior. Jesus is the Savior, and the Bible calls him the Savior of the world. And so, so forgiveness is not something that God can do. Forgiveness is something that God has done. And that's the difference. That's why when Jesus came, he could look at a guy that was lowered through a roof and say, man, your sins are forgiven you. He didn't say your sins can be forgiven if you say the right prayer or if you cry enough or if you repent or if you do this or you do that. Jesus didn't say that to that guy, and that's why it incensed and, and, and it, it bothered in that scenario the Pharisees and the scribes. They got offended. And, and if you preach the gospel the way the Bible presents the gospel, you're going to offend religious people. And you're going to offend moralistic people that view this as a moralistic good versus evil kind of view. You're going to offend those people. Jesus looked at that guy who came for a healing. He's paralyzed. He's on a stretcher. And he came for a healing. And yet Jesus says, sir, uh, man, your sins are forgiven. And he didn't say they will be, could be. One day they will be. One day they might be. Jesus said, your sins are already forgiven you. And the guy didn't pray a prayer. And he didn't ask for forgiveness. <clears throat> How dare Jesus do that? And that's why the Pharisees got upset and people get upset when they hear me preach like this because they, they want you to have to jump through the hoops. They want you to have to say what they say you have to say or do what they say you have to do. But that's not what the Bible teaches. Jesus said, your sins are forgiven you. And he, wasn't, he, he never prayed a prayer. How could he say that? Because he came to take away the sin of the world, which included that man's sins. That's why he could look at the woman in John 8 called in adultery which is a sin. But Jesus looks at her and says, woman, where are your condemners? She said, she looks up and says, I have none. He said, neither do I condemn you. He told her to go and sin no more because the only power that you and I ever have to live the life that God intends you to live is to know that you're under no condemnation. There is now therefore no condemnation. There is no punishment to them that are in Christ Jesus. It breaks my heart to see how people live. My wife's a real estate agent with Century 21, and, and she deals with a lot of different people. And, and their views of God in the world and, and all that always comes through most of the time in our lives. And even things we deal with. And, and, and my wife uh, has listed this, these people's house in another city and another town. And, and, uh, and, uh, and he's very religious and he's very... Uh, strict in his observance of the rules in his religious uh, view. Uh, he is so strict that, that, that he won't let my wife talk to him during the Sabbath. Uh, he won't entertain any offers on his home. He won't respond to any offers. He won't allow people to look at his home uh, during the Sabbath, which is Friday night sundown to Saturday night sundown. And he might have missed a few deals because of that. Uh, some people from Florida wanted to come up and look at it during the Sabbath, and he wouldn't allow it, uh, you know, because he's trying to be a good person and obey the, what the rules are in his denomination. And then uh, yet my wife had to call him, and she finally, and then she got an offer uh, on his home, and it was accepted by him, and it looked like everything's a done deal and it's going to be wonderful. And then the lady changed her mind and said, I'm going to stay in Florida and I'm not moving to, to the town where my wife has this home listed. And so my wife had the unpleasant duty to call the man and say, you know, we've got a termination on the contract, and, and you know, the person's changed their mind. Uh, uh, they, they don't want the home now. And, uh, and, it, and it, it, it would do like it would do any of us. It deflates you. You go, oh, you, know, you thought you had your house sold. Uh, 
And, he, and his response to my wife was that, I, you know, maybe the Lord's paying me back uh, for some of the, the way that I've lived. Ain't that what he told you? Don't that just break your heart? And it broke her heart. And he sincerely believes that. He believes that the, his, the, the, the possible reason that his house didn't go through and sell is because the Lord is paying him back for his sin. If you think about that for a moment, that really cheapens sin. If you could pay for sin by just your contract on your house falling through, that makes sin very, very inexpensive. Right? That makes it, it's not a huge deal at all. If, if that's something like that, something that, on one hand, in the worldview of things, that's pretty minor. And yet I can pay for my sin with that kind of a problem? How ridiculous is that? It lowers sin as not much deal at all. See, you and I have never, and you can never pay for your sin. You, you don't have the wherewithal to pay for sin. You, 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 if you gave your life, the Bible says you couldn't pay for it, for sin. Uh, it's not a paying. Uh, that's not the issue. We use the term, and that's a religious term, and it's not a term in the Bible. The Bible don't talk in terms of paying for sin. It don't even use the terminology, but the church uses it. And they fling it around like it's a biblical uh, uh, theological principle, and it, it is not. Jesus, Jesus, him who knew no sin, he became sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. No matter what you're going through, and you may be like that guy. You may think that the hell you're going through in your life or the problems, the reason this didn't happen or, or this, you didn't get this is because of something you've done in the past. I, can I tell you again and again, that is such a lie. There's consequences for bad decisions. So if you make bad decisions, whether that decision is sin or not, I don't think it's a sin to stick your fingers into a fan blade that is running. I don't, I've never read in the Bible where it says, thou shalt not stick thy fingers in a running fan. So let's just get that clear. That's not a sin to stick your fingers in a fan that's running, right? It's not a sin. But if you stick your fingers in a fan that's running, you're going to get hurt. If not, depending on the power and the sharpness of the fan blades, you might even lose your fingers. It might amputate them. And it's going to cause you pain not only in the moment that you do it, but for weeks and weeks and maybe the rest of your life. It's going to cause you problems. And, and, and you know why you're suffering? Because you made a bad decision or a careless decision. But you did it. it but but it, didn't, it doesn't change. You understand? There's consequences for doing wrong things whether it's robbery or whatever it is, but God's not paying you back with your pain. God's not paying you back. God calls, there's just something with God called indiscriminate grace. And even the church, when they recite these verses, they recite it from a negative connotation, most people. The Bible said God causes the sun to shine on all people. God causes the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. Now you hear the church talking, well, you know, the Bible says the rain has to fall on the just, and they act like rain's a bad thing. 
Rain is blessing. Rain is life. If there's no rain falling, there's no life on this planet. There's no groceries. <laughs> there's, there's no water to drink, which, by the way, you have to have to live. So when the Lord says he causes it to rain on the just and the unjust, that is indiscriminate grace. God blesses all mankind. The grace of God for salvation has appeared to all men. God's not willing that any should perish, but all should come. And it just goes on and on and on. It's indiscriminate grace. God's grace does not discriminate against people. God blesses the people that, that think that they're just, and he blesses the people that, that, that knows they're unjust. But they get the same sunshine you get. They get the same rain that you get. They get the same grace that you get. They get the same blessing that you get. So Jesus brought a totally different view of sin and forgiveness. And, and sin is an issue that man couldn't deal with, so God says, I'll deal with it. I, will not, I won't cover your sin. I, I will take away the sin of the world. And, and forgiveness is not something that I will do, can do, might do. Forgiveness is something that I have done. You don't enjoy the benefits of it until you receive it, until you believe it. But the Apostle Paul, under the Old Covenant, yes, forgiveness was doted out in response. And all, but we're not under the Old Covenant. We're under grace. And when you read the preaching of the Apostle Paul, he always speaks of forgiveness as something that has been done. He said, yeah, you ought to forgive other people just like God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. God's forgiven you. You're forgiven. You don't have to come to God. You don't have to come and say, God, please forgive me of that sin. And I told you, I lived my life for decades like this because nobody told me the truth. And I would sin, and it would grieve my heart, and I would repent. You know, I called it repentance, and I'd say, Father, forgive me for that sin. And, 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 if, and to the degree of the weight of that burden of that sin or the, whatever it was, then I, I, wouldn't, I, wouldn't, I never would ask him just one time. I would plead with him, beg him. I would talk to him for days, sometimes weeks about it. Father, please forgive me. Please forgive me. I just, and I never knew when he did or if he didn't. How, how sick is that? If you believe that God can forgive, how do you even know that he does? And if you do believe that he forgives when you ask, why would you ask him twice? That's your indictment that you don't even believe it. Because you asked him two times for the thing you had done asking him one time before. Because why would you ask him a second time? Because you didn't believe he did it the first time. Why would you ask him ten times? Because you didn't believe that he did it the ten times. So maybe the 11th time if I ask him, and I cry a little bit more, and I make him all these promises, and if you'll forgive me, then I won't do this no more, and I won't do that. And you try to make a, cut a deal. Let's make a deal. Come on down. Let's make a deal. None of that. That's religion. God's already removed your sin as far as the east is from the west. That's why the Bible said that God was in Christ when Jesus was on the cross reconciling the sin of the world, not imputing men's trespasses against them. Why is God not keeping a record of your sin? Because he's already dealt with the sin issue and your sin has been removed. You're talking about, well, I, I mean, I might sin tomorrow. Yeah, it includes that. It includes that. And that's why we don't even know it because sin is, and I've taught you this, sin is a noun in the Bible, not a verb. The, the, the New Testament book that uses the word sin more than any other book is Romans. 39 times the word sin appears in the book of Romans. Only one time out of 39 times is sin a verb. A, a noun is a person, a place, or a thing. Sin is a thing. Sin is not something you do. You do things that are wrong because of the noun sin. 
Jesus, when it says he became sin, he, he didn't become a verb. He, didn't bec- he, he became the noun. And look, why is that important? Because if you don't understand that, you don't even know what sin is. You think sin, when it said that him who knew no sin became sin, you read it in the, in the Greek, get you a Greek dictionary, it is a noun there. It's, and we don't even know what it is. And most people, that's why they're so confused about their view of sin. But sin, uh, Jesus became sin, and he removed the sin of the world, which included yours, and it includes the ones you had not even done yet. We say, well, wait a minute, now you're talking about future forgiveness of sin? Sure, that's exactly what I'm talking about. Do you think you're, I mean, what does the Bible say that calls God to forgive sin? The shedding of blood. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. Jesus entered into that death. He removed sin. And he removed everything that went with sin because sin entered the world and death through sin. Jesus walked into Hades, death, and he, and he defeated death. If there's no future forgiveness of sin, then let me tell you something real clear right here. Everybody in this room's lost. Everybody on the planet's lost. And we're waiting on the second crucifixion. And we're waiting on the second shedding of blood because the last time that I've read that Jesus shed his blood was 2,000 years ago. And you weren't born then. And the sins you've done have been post that, after that. God don't forgive you because you cry at an altar. God don't forgive you because you repent. Repent means change the way you think. Metanoia, Greek word, change the way you think. Repenting ain't got nothing to do with God forgiving you. Repenting is you change the way you think about God, sin, the Bible, yourself, and others. That's what it means. Repent. Why? Think differently. Metanoia. Let th- you got to think in a totally different grid than the way the Pharisees. It's a total different way. And, and it's a new wine skin and a new wine. And your old pattern and your old ways, Jesus said, they, they will not jive together. It, it won't. This is a whole new king. This is a new priesthood. Jesus couldn't even be in the ministry. You couldn't be a priest unless you were born of the tribe of Levi. Jesus wasn't born of the tribe of Levi. That's why the Pharisees and the Jews had such a hard time with him. He's not even a candidate. There's no way this dude can be in the ministry because he's not a Levite. He's not like of the lineage of, uh, 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 of the Levites where he could be like uh, the, uh, the Moses and Aaron. He's not a, he, he's not a Levi. Jesus was of the tribe of Judah. He's of the tribe of Judah. He can't even be in the ministry. Yet he's the priest. He's our high priest. But it's a different priesthood. It's not Levitical, it's Melchizedek. Most Christians don't even have a clue what that means. That means king and priest. Jesus is both king and priest, and he has an e- eternal priesthood. The Bible says if there, in Hebrews 7, if, it, if there was not a need for another priesthood, one would not have come. God said he'd done away with that old system and that old grid and all of that. And, and so sin and forgiveness, that's what blew the Pharisees' mind. Because Jesus ain't addressing it like they thought that he should address it. The second thing is that, that Jesus brought a whole new value to, to, your, to you and your lostness. In other words, you are a value to God even in your lostness. Even though you're lost. That's why he came to seek and to save that which was lost. You're a value to God. I don't have, this is a whole sermon in itself, but re- real quick, how do you, um, how, what's my value to God? Well, what's, well, how do you value anything in the world? 
Anybody will tell you there's only two ways that you value anything in this universe. You value it by two criteria. Number one, the rarity of the item. The rarer the item, the more valuable it is, right? Uh, that's why they'll do things and they'll only say, we only made a hundred of these. Well, that makes it valuable because there's a limited amount of them. So the, va the value is determined by the, the rarity of an item. The second way you determine the value is what a person is willing to pay for that item. That's really what sets the value. If a person's willing to pay X amount, then that makes it worth X amount, right? So now let's bring and boil that down to you. There's been 6 billion people to live from Adam up until now, and now there's 7 billion on the planet. That's about 13 billion people. You, let's establish your value by your uniqueness. You are unique. There's never been a person like you that's had your fingerprints. That's why they can indict you on your fingerprint and your DNA, because you've got the only set of that ever. Your DNA is your DNA, and it's not nobody else's, and it can't get confused. You are unique and specific right down to your chemistry and to your fingerprint. God has never made another one like you. There'll never be another one like you. You might say, hallelujah, or hold me, but that's the deal. All right, so that establishes your uniqueness. You are totally, specially unique. Second, what is God willing to, if you want to use the term, pay for you? He gave his life. So you're worth what God's worth. Because God gave his self to ransom us. There you go. So even in your lostness, when you're on the wrong road, going the wrong way, you are just as valuable to God as anybody else. And he will demonstrate that value by pursuing you relentlessly. The third thing is the whole view of salvation, which I've already stated. Salvation is not that you can receive the Lord into your life. Salvation is Jesus came and has received you into his life. And he wants you to awaken that and the blindness that's on your mind so you can't see and believe that. That what? What's that? The grace, the good news of God. You know, the story of the prodigal son, as the church refers to it, to me, is the most concise video of the gospel ever. One thing bothered me, though, when I would read the, these three parables in tandem as they are, Jesus responding to the Pharisees, who are upset because he receives sinners. And I want to tell you that it still upsets the church today, particularly in America, when preachers like me preach that he has received sinners, they still get just as mad as the Pharisees because they want to control you and say, well, you've got to be part of our group. There are churches right here in this town that if you're not baptized the way they say that you've got to say the words out of their mouth when they baptize you in the name of how they do it, and if you're not part of their denomination, they say everybody else in Lowndes County is going to hell. I mean, I ain't kidding you. And they're running more people this morning than I am. And got a bigger church and a nicer piece of property. Now, how many of you in here, with the knowledge you have of God and the Bible, believe that? Do you believe you got to be part of their denomination? If you believe that, you're in the wrong building, bro. You need to bust out over there. 
I can give you direction out of church if you want to know where they're at. But they say and teach dogmatically and unapologetically that if you're not part of their group and baptized the way they baptize you, then you're not going to heaven. They are exclusive. They're not inclusive. It's them. It's us for and no more mentality. That's, all, that's rampant all over. Now, there are other denominations that imply that. They won't have it in their written statement, but they sure have the culture of that. You're not part of their group. You're not going. Blow train blue. After you come here a while, you'll figure out what that means. But one thing kind of nagged at me about these parables in the sense that the the, the lost sheep, it says the shepherd seeks that lost sheep until he finds it. He's never going to give up. And I've said before, death is not going to cause him to give up. He's going to seek for that sheep until he finds it. That's, the, that's why he's a good shepherd. All right, then it goes into the parable of the woman that's lost the corn. And she sweeps the house and she looks for the corn until she gets tired. Or until, no, she does it until she finds it. So then we roll right from those two talks. Jesus continues talking, and he says there's a man that had two sons. Notice it's not one son, it's two sons. And he has these two sons. And we know that story. Most of us know that story pretty well. And how that one son, you know, the younger son says, I, you know, Pop, you know, basically what it's boiling down to is you're living too long, and I'm ready to party, and I'm not going to get my inheritance, and I need you before you did to go ahead and give me the will. I need some money. And so the father gives him his, his portion. Now, the elder brother, the, his older brother, he gets double. He get, the firstborn gets double. That's in the Scripture. Why does he get double? Just because he's born first. Uh, I'm going to tell you that in a minute. But he gets double. He gets that double portion. And, and, and so, but the younger son wants his portion. And, and so the father divides to him that that's due him. And he takes his money and he goes to a far country. You know the story, right? And he spends his uh, inheritance... On riotous, the Bible uses the term riotous living. The New King James calls it prodigal living. It's insane living. It's riotous. It's not logical. It's, it's, it's an insane way to live your life. And that's what he does. He goes and spends it on women and, and drink. And, and he just, you know, uh, he, he parties it up. And when you got a lot of money and you buy everybody drinks, you'll have a lot of friends, so-called. Right? And so he has all these friends, and then after a while, the Bible said the money ran out. And there was a famine, it said, that came to that land. Can I tell you, to you that there's always going to be a famine for those kind of people? Because they're, they're, they're on a wrong road. They're living life the wrong way. It's not a way of life, it's a way of death. They're on a destructive path. They're on a uh, whatever it is, and, 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 and they're, they're going to be, like the Bible calls, in want. It says there was a famine, and it says that, that everybody forsook him. And it says, no man gave him anything. And then it says he goes and attaches himself to a man that gave him a job to feed hogs. For a Jewish boy, now that, was a, that was a low blow. Now remember this is a parable coming out of the mouth of Jesus. And Jesus is wanting us to really get this. And he's speaking it to the Pharisees primarily. But we all get the privilege of eavesdropping on this parable. And so he says that nobody gave him anything. And it says 
that he, he, he desired to, would have eaten the husk that he hogs left. He was hungry. He was miserable. Who built the pig pen? Not God. That boy did. How did he build the pig pen? He did it by his decisions. Now what bothered me and nagged at me for years was that we have a shepherd who is relentless and looks for and seeks the sheep until he finds it. And then secondly, story, we have a woman who turns the house upside down and sweeps the house and looks for the coin relentlessly until she finds it. And then we go into the parable of the prodigal son, as some would refer, and we don't see Papa leaving the house going after the boy. That bothered me. I wanted the parable to continue the theme. And I wanted to say the, the father packed up his bags and left home, and he searched relentlessly for the son until he found him. But that's not how the parable goes. Now, it don't say, you know, for, it doesn't say that the father sat on the, you know, the porch and waited for the son to come back home. It does say that the father saw him while he was a great way off and ran to him. Not only did it say that the father ran to the son while he was far away, but it says he, and I don't want you to miss this, he fell on his neck and kissed him. Now that word may not mean much to you because a lot of times our English translations hide nuggets. And us preachers, it's our job to find those nuggets and give them to you as a gift. But that word that's translated into English, that Greek word that's translated fell, is only used two times in the entirety of the whole New Testament. It is used in this instance where he fell on his neck. It's a very unique Greek word. And then the only other time it's used is in Acts chapter 10 when Cornelius has called for Peter and Peter comes to this Gentile home and he is, is first initially asking for what purpose have you sent for me and then he begins to give the testimony of Jesus to them and while he was yet speaking, Peter, to them in Cornelius' home and all those people and friends and family he had assembled, it said the Holy Spirit fell upon them. He fell upon them. It's, that's the only other time that word, same word. The Holy Spirit just said, Peter, you, I, you talk, you, you, you're talking too long. He falls on them. He just, what did the Holy Spirit do? He fell on their neck and kissed them. He just couldn't wait no more. Holy Spirit just couldn't wait no more. And so here his father runs and he falls on his neck and he, and he kisses him. Now, we know the story how the reason that we got the this prodigal son, as we call it, the reason he's even there, he didn't come home because he missed Papa. He didn't come home because he missed church or he missed preaching or he missed none of that. He came home because he couldn't take the hell no more where he was living. He couldn't take the pain no more. He couldn't take the hunger no more. He couldn't take the hogs no more. He couldn't take the husks no more. He couldn't take being in want. And that way of living will always leave you wanting something. Because it's not living, it's dying. You're dead while you yet liveth. You're, you're, you're not living. Jesus said, I've come that they might have life. And, and not just life, not existence, but a, a life more abundant, abundant life. God wants you to have abundant life. 
God wants you to enjoy life. Even though God never intended us to die, but while we here living, He wants you to live. Because Jesus told Mary and Martha that if you believe upon me, though a person dies, they shall live. And He said, whoever believes on me will never die. Is Jesus schizophrenic? Why is He using these words? Because He said, you're not going to die because I've taken the stinger out of death. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, grave, where's your victory? I mean, Jesus said, I've removed that. Death is not death like you think of death. Yeah, we saw her. We miss people. I miss my mother-in-law that we just had her home going. I, I, miss, I miss her. I miss her terribly already. But, but she didn't die. She didn't die. She just stepped into the light. She didn't die. We're the ones that are suffering because we're missing that 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 felt that physical fellowship. That boy, when he was in there with the hog, something happened to him, and he said. And, and the Bible uses this term, and it doesn't really give much detail as you know what the real microscopic detailed play by play. But it just says this: when he came to himself. See, everybody got to come to themselves. Now, one reason, Father in this parable, did not leave home and go relentlessly pursue the boy is number one, your decision to come home has got to be yours. God's not going to come knock you in the head, handcuff you, throw you in the back of the Holy Ghost police car and bring you back to the church. Because you wouldn't be coming of your own free will. God respects your ability to choose and your free will more than you do. So Papa wants you home and he's looking for you. And if he sees the slightest slightest a hint that you're heading that way, he's going to run and meet you at wherever you are. He don't care how you smell, what you look like, what you've done, where you've been. Now see that, but it says when he came to himself, what does that mean? You, you just got to come to yourself. You got to get sick and tired of the hog pen. Now some people, they'll build a little bitty hog pen and it don't take them long, they'll get up and come to Papa. But some people, they, they, they'll build a hellacious hog pen and still won't get up. Everybody's different. You got, it's called hitting bottom. With all addicts, just about all addicts I've ever talked to, that when I said, you know, what, what finally brought you to get free of this? Whatever your, your this is, drugs, alcohol, sex, whatever it is, what, what, they, they say I hit bottom. But see, your bottom and another person's bottom is two different bottoms. You understand what I'm saying? I mean, what's bottom to you ain't bottom to them. I've seen people in my own circles that I thought, well, this here has got to be bottom for them. And I've had people tell me that was their bottom. And they turn right around and dig a deeper well and go lower. And I'm like, my God, can't you see the insanity of how you're living and what you're doing to yourself and to people that love you and to care for you? How can you live your life and just keep making such stupid decisions? And living your life and wasting. It says he wasted his life. He wasted his... That's the word, you wasted. You, you, you waste your life. You, you can be on no drugs, no alcohol, none of that kind of stuff, and you can waste your life worrying about tomorrow. And Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow. Look at the birds. They ain't worried. They don't plant a garden. They don't reap a harvest, yet I feed one of them. And he said, listen, you're, not one sparrow will fall out of that tree and hit the dirt that I don't know it. And he said, you're much more valuable to me than any kind of bird or a sparrow. He said, if your father takes care of the birds, what, the, what makes you want to believe the lie that he ain't going to provide for you? 
God might have to send a bird in there like he did to the prophet Elijah and fly your groceries in in the, in the claws of a bird, but Papa going to feed you something. When you get down and you got a stick and a little bit of meal, God's going to send a prophet that's going to say, make me a biscuit. <laughs> and if you got faith to use your last little bit to make a biscuit, then God's going to see that the meal don't ever run dry. God's, God's for you. He's with you. He's in you. And he, and, he, and he just said he came to himself. But I got some people, I need them to come to themselves. When he came to himself, he said, not the preacher, not his parents, he said, it's got to come out your mouth. He said, I will arise. You ain't going to never get up till you say I'm getting up. You ain't going to never quit till you say I'm quitting. You ain't going to never stop it till you say I'm stopping it. You got to say I, me, I. I don't know what all these hogs going to do. I will arise. Arise from what? Arise from your mess. Arise from your addiction. Arise from this depression. I will arise. You got to say, I will arise. And you got to say it before you see yourself arising. Because you ain't going to ever get up. That's why the Bible says a righteous man. Because we're righteous in his sight. He's gifted as righteousness. A righteous man falls seven times. But he gets back up again. Because if you don't believe the gospel, you won't ever get back up. You'll lay there with the hogs. You, you'll lay there with the hogs. He said, I will arise. Now, he had his religious theology of the father all screwed up. He didn't even know his dad. He said, now, when I get home, this is what I'm going to tell daddy. I'm going to tell him I'm, I'm a piece of, I wish I could say it like I want to tell you. But he said, I'm a piece of trash. And he said, because see, if you think you're a piece of that, that's what you're going to live your life like. Huh? Listen, if you think you are worthless and of no value, and you are a piece of whatever. If you believe that about, listen to me, if you believe that about yourself, listen to me, then you will live your life like that. And thereby you will be able to point to yourself in the mirror and other people will point to you and tell you and confirm to you that you are a piece of crap by the way you live. And that will make you feel sadistically, stupidly good because you say, you, then you'll go see there, I am that because that's how I live. No, you live like that because that's what you believe. Because you believe a lie. Even though it's not true. And, 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 and so he, he says, I will arise. I'm going to come home to Papa and I'm going to say, I am no longer worthy. See there, I'm a piece of crap. No longer worthy to be called your son. I just want to be like a slave, like one of your workers, a hired servant. And I, all I need is three squares and a bed. And so what I need you to do is we want to make this deal. I will come home if you just let me live in the barn with, with the servants and I'll work the fields like they do, and I'll get my, you know, three square meals and a, and a roof over my head, and I'll be, I'll be happy. That's called your religious repentant prayers. Trying to cut a deal with God. Or you got to say the right prayer to get God to accept you. As if he's sitting on the front porch with his arms crossed, and when he sees you, he said, I knew you'd come home broke, busted, disgusted. I knew. It's just a matter of time. I tried to tell you, but you wouldn't listen. Now you get your butt out there that barn and you live like a slave until I get ready to ever even talk to you again. 
because I'm really irritated with you right now. Or I need you to enter this program and go on, you know, seven months or, you know, duty and do this. See, but Papa didn't say that at all, did he? In fact, the boy went to try to go into his religious speech like we do in church world. He said, hush. We're not doing that. Because see, if you can do something and then receive something because you did something, that's called pay. And that's not grace, because grace is free. Grace is not deserved. Grace is not earned. If it is, it's not grace. Don't talk. Looks to his servants, said, put the best robe. Not a robe, the best robe. Who do you think in that house had the best robe? Papa had the best robe. What's going on here? Papa's taking off his robe, giving it to his son. That's the best robe. Papa's got, what's the best robe that God gives us? His righteousness. Not some righteousness, but his righteousness, his holiness, his acceptance, his love. Give him the best robe. Put the ring on his finger. Authority. It was like a, it was like a signed blank check. Literally in that culture, they could buy stuff and just hit the ring on the piece of paper and that was, it was Papa, it paid for it. Put shoes on his feet because slaves don't wear shoes. But he's not a slave. He's a son. Put sandals on his feet. And then he says, kill the fatted calf. I want to throw a party and I want singing and dancing to be going on. Because my son, my son, who was dead, is now alive. It didn't mean he was physically dead. It just means he was living like a dead man. But he still said he was my son. He was God's son when he left home. He was God's son when he was on the wrong path, headed the wrong way. He would have been God's son if he died while he was with the hogs. He would die as a son, not as a sinner. He would get all the benefits of sonship because they're not earned. They're by birth. He was a son on his way home. He was still a son, though he looked like and smelled like a hog. Still a son. And Papa treated him like a son. And Papa never said one word about his sin or how he wasted his life. He never breathed his sin. Why? Because sin is not the issue. There's no repentance needed from the son other than change the way you think about Papa. I'm talking about there's no repent needed for the forgiveness. Forgiveness is already granted for you ever even started home. That's why he doesn't mention it. There's no mention of sin. That's why Romans chapter 10 in the New Testament teaches people how to be born again, so to speak. But there's no mention of the word sin in the whole chapter. Why? Because sin's not the issue. So then they go home, they throw the party. And so here comes the older son. He hears, it says in the Bible, he hears the music and he hears the dancing. And he asked the person, what is this noise that I hear? What is, what's going on? He, said, you're, you're, he says, your brother. You can read all this. He says, your brother, who was lost, he's come home. And, 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 and your dad has thrown a party for him. And he's celebrating his return. That made him so angry. Because there's one coin... But on both sides of the coin is something different, and they both are represented by these brothers. Now, on one side of the coin is represented by the younger brother, and that is humanity's addiction to rebellion. We are rebellious by nature. 
and we rebel. Don't eat the cookies. By God, I'll have a cookie if I want one. I mean, we just, we're born rebellious. We came, you know, most a lot of us come from, and descendants came from England. Well, they drive, you know, on the left side. By God, we'll drive on the right side. You know, do it like they do it. They drink hot tea. By God, we'll drink iced tea. We'll show them. We ain't going to do nothing like they did it over there. We're going to rebel. <laughs> on the other side, the coin is represented by the older brother. We want people to pay for what they did wrong. It's called our addiction to retribution. They are people that we don't want to go to heaven. We don't want them to make it. We want them to get what they deserve. We want them to pay for the wrong they did to us, to our family, or to any. They, we want them to pay. It's retribution. We are addicted. It's one coin, but it's different side of that one coin. So the older brother, he's religious. He wants some people to pay. And he's very exclusive, not inclusive. Because this is what he says. Now, notice what he says in the Bible. He makes this statement when, when it says, now, somebody says, well, the father never left and went after. Yeah, he left. It says he went out. But, you know, he, he ran to that younger son. But it does say that the father left his home. And he did go out. Don't ever accuse the father of not going out. He went out. But let's see who he went out for. It says that the older brother was angry and would not come in. And the Bible says, so the father went out. Went out where? It said, went out to him. So the father left his home, and he went and he went and pursued the older brother. He went out to him, and he goes out and talks to him and beseeches him with love. Because guess what? He loves that son just as much as he does the son that, inside the party. Same way. So he comes out to him and says, he, he, you know, he, he says, son, why, why won't you come into the party? And boy, he, he tears into his father. He, he, and, and, and he won't even refer to his brother as his brother. He says, that son of yours. That's what he says. Notice his language. That son of yours. He won't even call him my brother. That son of yours who went out and wasted all your, your resources and wasted his life and on, on riotous living and wine women, and he just tears into his dad. And, and, he's, and he said, now here, I've been here. And I, he said, I have never violated your commandments. Which that lets us know he's a liar because he's espousing perfection. But he said, I've never broken one of your commandments. He said, I have worked for you. I have served you faithfully. And he said, you never even give me a goat. Now listen to this. You miss this. Read it. To celebrate with my friends. You underline my friends. He is very, he's not inclusive. He's exclusive. All he's worried about is his friends. If his friends is Baptist, all he wants to do is celebrate with the Baptists or Methodists or the Pentecostals or the Church of Gods or the Nazarenes or the Tangerines or the Assembly of God. Or the... See, my friends. See, you don't kill a fatted calf unless you're going to invite the whole village. That's the culture of the day. He said, I want a goat just for my friends. You never even give me a goat. And Papa says, everything I have is yours. You ain't never asked me for nothing. 
Because, see, you are captive and slaving in the field of religion, and you are working, and you feel like that you have this, you have this entitlement spirit. You feel like if I, do, that you, that I owe you. Well, God, I did this. I prayed, and I go to church, and I give my time, and I can't believe you let this happen to me. Don't act like you ain't never heard it. God, you owe me. I've done this for you, and I've done that for you, and I witnessed for you. Then you let this happen to me. I don't understand. See, that's that older brother, and that's that entitlement spirit. I, you owe me something. I did, the, I did the rules. I jumped through the hoops. Now you got to, you, 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 you obligated to, to answer my prayer, to do what I said. That's not God. That ain't, that's that old brother. God comes out to him and says, your brother, the papa says, your brother. He says, that son of yours, he replies and said, your brother. That's your brother. You need to check yourself. That's your brother. That's not my son. That's your brother. And he was dead. Now he's alive. And it is right that we should celebrate his homecoming. Please come in, son. I wonder how many people that we feel like that now our religion has made us the official gatekeeper. I wonder if there's any people that we don't want to come in to the party. I wonder if there's some groups and people that ain't our friends, but that we don't want them to make it. I wonder how exclusive we have been. And who is it that we have not went outside our comfort zones? outside our denominations or outside our religious views and invited them and tell them that our papa is an inclusive papa and he wants everybody to come. That's why he's killed the fatty calf. Somebody says in this parable, where is Jesus in that parable? Where's Jesus in the parable? We see Father, but where's Jesus? I want to tell you where Jesus is. Jesus is the robe that was put on his shoulders. Jesus is the ring. It was put on his finger. Jesus is the shoes and sandals that was put on his feet. And if Jesus can be a lamb slain for Passover, then I want to tell you he can surely be a fatted calf to sacrifice for us to feast off of and to live our life off of. And I don't want to be that guy that becomes religious and, and exclusive. I want, you to, I want to spend the time and say, that, listen, God, God's calling for everybody to come. He said, go out in the highways and the hedges and compel strangers to come into this banquet feast. He said, don't leave nobody out. Everybody's welcome. Jew and Gentile. Get, 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 invite them all to come. Invite them all to come. They get offended. Religion gets offended because the boy didn't have to pay back nothing. In fact, all he got was never even mentioned his sin, and he got celebrated. It's just, Papa's so glad to have you home. Where's home? Home's not a mansion in heaven. Home's not a you know, city built four square. Home's not streets of gold. Home's not a pearly gate. Home is Papa. Jesus said, uh, he said, nobody, nobody cometh to the Father except by me. Home's in the Father. Us in him, he's in us. That's home. And he said, the way you live in your life, so you can be on the wrong journey, you can be on the wrong road, but all God is doing is using those things. And even those things, like I mean, you the one built the pig pen. God didn't do it. God ain't punishing you. God ain't whipping you. God's not going to beat you back to Papa's house. But I tell you what, he's wanting you to come. In my house, and where we used to live before we moved about us many years ago, you'll notice I had a huge picture. I mean, it's that big, huge picture uh, painted by this religious artist. I forget the name now. But it was this picture, and it showed a guy dressed in our culture like blue jeans and a shirt. And it shows him running with his arms wrapped around 
who, who is none other than, than the Lord. And, and it, was the, it was the picture of the prodigal coming home. And I kept, we kept that in our living room for all, as long as we lived there since we bought it. It was just a, a lithograph or something they called it, but a very, just a heart-rendering view. That's always been, you know, if you say, what's your favorite parable in the Bible? It's got to be this one. Because there's no parable more clearly is concisely conveys the gospel. That's it in a nutshell right there. It, it, it's, it's the totality of the gospel is contained in that one parable right there of that prodigal. The papa respects your decision to choose, but he wants you home. And he's calling you home. And so, so many things in our life using the GPS thing, but it's waypoints in our life. And we're not there yet, but these things are waypoints. What's that doing? It's pointing us to the way. Who's the way? Jesus is the way. They're called waypoints. I'm not there, but I'm on the way home. And I pray that, there's, that you'll just arise. That those people, how many know somebody that needs to arise out of their addiction or arise out of their... Let's stand up and pray for them right now. I know I got somebody. You got somebody. Hold, hold you. If there's somebody you go in your heart right now that you're saying, I, I want them to arise. Let's pray for them right now. You pray for the, yours, I pray for mine, and then I'll pray for yours. How about that? Papa, you see who the people, the person, the persons that every one of these raised hands represent that's on the wrong path. They're on the wrong journey. They're on a destructive path. They're on an addictive path. And Father, I pray that in the name of Jesus Christ that they would arise, that they would first come to themselves. Lord, only you know how. The, but I, I pray that they would come to themselves. I pray they would awaken from their darkness and their blindness and their stupor and their addiction. I pray that they will come to themselves, just like that in this parable. He came to himself. I pray they would come to themselves. I, I pray they would see things as they are, and I, I pray they would come to themselves. And as they, as they have that awakening in that moment, I pray that they will say out of their own mouth and their own mind, I will arise, that they will come to you, they will come home to the you. They would come home to you, Father. I pray they will arise and I pray that their journey, Lord God, home will be quick because I know you're going to run and fall on their neck and kiss them while they're still a great way off. I pray that for every one of them, all those that are on our hearts today, in Jesus' precious name. Amen. We love you guys. Man, next Sunday... It's Super Bowl Sunday. Did y'all know that? It is the Super Bowl for preachers. <clears throat> now listen to me seriously. I'm going to cut you loose. People seem to be more receptive to coming to church on Easter. We will have people that we will come next Sunday that we won't see till the next Easter. And they are welcome. Okay, they are welcome. We will be partaking of communion next Sunday. We, we love to do that on Easter and remember what the Lord has done. If you, got, if you know anybody that is unchurched and not going to go anywhere, please, you can do it so easily now through text, messenger. Hey, there's a, something called a phone. You could actually call them and verbalize it if you wanted to. Invite them to come with you to Grace Point. And, and, and let's get them here where they can hear the gospel. Amen? Amen. God bless you. I love you. I'll see you next Sunday.